All right, we're going to study the Bible now. You have a Bible? Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 12. We're in this uh, middle section of Luke chapters 10 through 18. We call Jesus Confronts. Every week we're going to see the tension mounting in this section of Luke. Jesus confronts our spiritual immaturity, and he also confronts the legalism of of the Jewish leaders and and us as well. And so there's just more and more kind of head-on confrontations doctrinally as Jesus teaches his people. I want to thank Joey. Did a great job last week. I got to hear the recording as I was coming home. The sermon today is a little bit of a part two. It was a big section of really Jesus. It looks like he's teaching all of this together at the same time and a lot of the same themes, but it's just so much material. Joey and I decided to kind of break that into two pieces. So appreciate the great work he did last week, helping us to understand that we should fear God more than we fear other people. And that fear of God is not kind of a a scared fear, but it's a fear that rests in our awe and wonder of his grace and care for us. Those themes are going to continue this week. And this week, the sermon is called Stop Worrying. Stop Worrying. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 48. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 48. Um, around page 869 or 870 in the Black Bibles that you'll see there. Jesus tells us to stop worrying, and, and one of the major things that people worry about is money, right? It's one of the main things that, that we worry about. We worry about money. We worry about having enough to take care of ourselves. That's something I worry about from time to time. I, I grew up in a situation where we lived in a nice neighborhood, kind of a rich neighborhood, and we were the poorest kids in the rich neighborhood. Um, I think a lot of times the way you grow up affects how you see money. Um, some of you might have been the rich kid in the poor neighborhood or, you know, or poor and poor or rich and rich or whatever it might be. Um, I, I realize as I've grown over the years that all Americans are rich. Like we're the richest people in the world, even, the, even those of us that grew up poor. And yet we still worry about money. But we're still tempted to say, man, if I just, if I just had this if I just had this, this you know, marker, if I just met this goal financially, then I'd be secure. And then I wouldn't have to worry anymore, right? I think we all fall into that. And in this text, we're going to see somebody come up to Jesus. In the midst of all this preaching he's doing about fear God, don't fear men, trust God, God's going to take care of you. This guy walks up and he's like, hey, Jesus, can you settle my financial predicament? Because I need some money and I'm worried about it, Right? And so Jesus is going to hammer this home again and again. Stop worrying. Don't think that financial issues are going to make you secure. Your security can only come from God. All right, so we're going to read the first few verses of this, or first half, really, of this section, and get the rest of the text as we move through it. So chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He's made it. Nothing to worry about anymore. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, 
This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious or worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hear that promise one more time. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's saying, stop worrying, because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you everything, to give you the kingdom, to take care of you. Stop worrying. We need the Holy Spirit to hear the word, to understand how to do this, how to trust him. Um, so I'm going to pray that his spirit would apply his word. We study his word every week because we believe it speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus, but we also pray each week and say, Spirit, help us hear you, help us to, to know you, help us to walk with you. So let's pray. God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would fill us with yourself. Your spirit would show us the glory of Jesus, his grace to us. Your kindness to us, God. Holy Spirit, teach us to listen. Teach us to trust. Help us to stop worrying, but to look to you, your character, your kindness, and the Father's good pleasure to care for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was very careful as I titled the sermon. It's Stop Worrying, um, and that's indicating that you might already be worrying, right? You might, like me, have already fallen into some worry sometimes. And this is kind of a little grammatical nerdy thing, but I think it's important for us to understand because some of you are chronic worriers, right? And when you come upon these texts, you're not just worrying about tomorrow, but now you're worrying about your worrying, right? And so I want to encourage you, he's not saying, if you worry at all, boom, hell, it's over, right? Like that's not really what he's saying. He's saying, I know you're already worrying, stop, trust me. Even in Philippians 4, where it talks about worry, and it says, do not worry, but in everything by prayer and petition, by thanksgiving, give your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Even there, the Greek grammar, and the Greek grammar here, has this continuous aspect. So whenever it's present tense in Greek, it's an ongoing thing. So he's not saying, don't ever begin to worry. He's saying, as you're worrying, stop that process. Don't keep on worrying. Let's, let's take that worry and turn it back to God. Now, for further study, if you are a worrier, I would look back at Luke 11. We've kind of saved that passage for New Year's. 
And there in Luke 11, he, he centers prayer and our trust in God's kindness. And then also Philippians 4, which I just quoted. Philippians 4 says, hey, the opposite of worry would be to rejoice in the Lord and his kindness and pray and ask him for his help. And so we see the same kind of character of God being the antidote to worry here in this text. But we're going to have different behaviors. So Luke 11, Philippians 4 is going to say, pray, 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 pray. And that's still there. It's in those other texts. But in this text, it's going to say, because of God's kindness, his pleasure to give you the kingdom, stop worrying, and instead do these, these three things. So he gives us three practices that are going to help us to remember God's kindness and to stop worrying. The three practices are this, consider nature, give to the needy, and stay ready for action. Three practices. Stop worrying because your father delights to give you the kingdom, and then remember that in these three ways. Consider nature, give to the needy, stay ready for action. So number one, stop worrying because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Instead, consider nature. Consider nature. I want you to hear that this is a command of Jesus. This is not just for the hippies, okay? You are commanded by God to consider nature, to look at creation and see God's kindness and his grace as you see it. It's a beautiful spiritual practice. There's a doctrine uh, that theologians describe as general revelation. General revelation is just like there's this kind of general, open, out there revealing of God, and it's everywhere you look in creation. Just walk outside, look around, just take a moment to consider, and you're going to see that God is awesome. The reason we don't see it is because we're rebels and we're selfish and we turn from it. Purposefully so. Romans 1 explains that. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says, we look up and we see him and we're like, I don't want that. I want to be my own God. And we start worshiping other things. We become enslaved then to the things that we're worshiping. Jesus is saying, no, redirect your attention back to nature. See that God is good. Consider the lilies. Look at the ravens. Consider the grass. God is good. He wants to provide for you. He delights to give you his kingdom. It's a really important spiritual practice that we should be committed to. Um, verse 22, he says it this way. He said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. This is not all there is, right? Like the guy who said, I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I can say to my soul, hey, relax, everything's cool. He's like, watch out. Because at that very moment, he died and he had to face judgment. And that money, those barns weren't enough to get him through the judgment. Now, just to be clear, Proverbs teaches that you should be good stewards with your money, right? So not everything this guy is doing is wrong. Jesus has this ability to see through our external behaviors and see to that part where we're saying, soul, you've arrived. You don't have to worry anymore. And Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's God that provides us eternal security. It's not finances. And so we taught a whole series on Proverbs last year. A lot of great stuff. Consider the ants, store, work hard. Right? All that stuff is right. But Jesus is saying, that's not enough. In the day of judgment, that will not be enough. Make sure that you've stored up for yourself treasure in heaven. Make sure that you have 
grace from God. Make sure that you trust that God will provide for you life as more than food and the body more than clothing. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Consider the ravens. Last week, Joey talked about the sparrows, right? God takes care of them. The sparrows are these uh, pests that are not protected by any treaties. I heard his sermon last week, right? I heard, I heard the recording, and yet God cares for them. Nobody else is going to care for them, but God will. The ravens. In central Texas, we have grackles, ugly, disgusting birds. And God says, consider them. Consider even the ugly birds. God loves them. God takes care of them. He goes on in verse 25, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? You can't. It doesn't work. Sometimes when I, when I have these worry moments, uh, it's typically like 5 a.m. I wake up early and I'm like, it's not time to wake up yet. I need to go back to sleep. And then I'm worrying about things. My brain can't shut off. I'm thinking about all the things that are like going wrong in the universe, you know. That doesn't add any hours to my life, Jesus is saying. Why do we think it will? Maybe if I outthink everything, I can solve my problem. I can live to be a thousand years old. No, it's not going to work. It's not going to add any time to your life. Verse 26, if then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. This is sowing language he's using here. If you're not familiar with it, I'm not really, but I've read about it in books. Um, He's saying they don't have to sew their clothes but God clothes them. God takes care of them. They don't have to toil. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of you, O you of little faith? I love how he talks about the grass being thrown into the oven. We're experiencing that right now, Right? We live in the oven. We're just, just go outside. You see the grass dying. Even in that, we can consider nature and we can see God's glory in it. Even there, you can say, yeah, the, the, gra- the grass is dying. God promised he was going to take care of me. And he told me to look at the grass, but I see the grass dying. Yeah, guess what? You're dying. We're all dying. And the grass's glory is to live for a week or six months, or whatever lifespan it has, the flower's glory is to be snipped and put in that vase on your table and die in a week. We're we're like that. We have beauty and we have glory. And God is saying, consider nature, just soak it up. Be who God's made you to be. You might die tomorrow. You might die in 80 years. But just live your life. God's taking care of you. He's not saying, look at the grass and look at the ravens. They live forever and everything's fine. No, they... They have pretty short lifespans. And yet he's saying this is a sign of God's tender care. John Calvin explained this kind of interplay between general revelation and special revelation, God's very specific truth-telling in the Bible, the good news of God's grace. And he said it like this. He said, we can see his revelation in nature, but we need the glasses of the gospel to really read it properly. And that's how they work together. Right? Like we can all walk outside and see nature and we see the glory of God, but we can do the Romans one thing and, and start to deny it and start to say, well, 
but God's mean and God's hard and life is difficult, so I don't know if I can believe in him. Calvin says the special revelation is the glasses that we can put on and say, oh, Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life for me. He died on the cross to be the sacrificial payment for my sins. He didn't know that to me. He did that because of his grace and kindness. He rose from the dead. He's proved that he's conquered sin and death forever, and he reigns eternally as king of the universe. And when I see that, and I believe that, now I have the clarity to read nature and understand his tender care, and that even the little birds and the grass and the flowers are symbols of his tender care for me. I grabbed a picture of some Texas wildflowers for us to think about. Uh, I know none of them are alive anymore, sorry. (laughs) For those of you that moved here in July and August, I'm sorry, it's only like this six months of the year. The rest of the year is awesome, I promise. But in the spring, we have these beautiful wildflowers that just pop up everywhere. They're gorgeous. Everybody loves it. It's just crazy thing you'll see people pull over to the side of the road and take family pictures in the middle of the blue bonnets, right? It's just this thing that happens in Texas. But Jesus says we should do that. We should consider them. We should look at the flowers. What are some other ways you can do it, right? We don't have flowers right now. What can we do? Well, you could go buy flowers at the store. That's, that's one thing you could do, right? You could buy a bird feeder. You could just watch the birds out the window. That's not just for old people. Young people can do that too, right? Um, here's, here's one for the summer. You could go sit in some water. Seriously, Like water is part of nature. It's this beautiful thing. When it's 107 and you sit in the water, it's almost tolerable. You're like, oh, God is good. God made water, right? There's so many ways to do that. Floating down a creek, uh, maybe going outside at 8, like 17 p.m. There's this one moment on summer days when it cools off for just a second and the wind blows. Then it gets still and it's 100 degrees again at 9 p.m. It's so weird. But Go, go try to catch that little moment of cool breeze that happens at 8 or 8.30. Um, there are different ways you can do this. You can just enjoy nature. Some of you might be animal people. I'm not an animal person, um, but like a cat, right? Like for a lot of people, they're a sign of judgment. But for some of you, they're a sign <laughs> of God's grace. You're petting the little kitty. You're hearing it purr, right? And like, God is good. All is right with the world. Or a dog, right? Like dogs love us. Even though they shouldn't, we're terrible, but they love us anyway, right? It's a sign of God's kindness and God's grace. There's so many different ways that you can do this. You can consider nature. Um, Andy Gullihorn talks about how we are looking for these special signs from God, even though we're surrounded by so many signs of his goodness. It's this song called Burning Bushes. He says, I'm praying for a miracle to let me know that you're listening. He's talking to God. I'm praying for a miracle to let me know you're listening. I'm, I'm waiting for a lightning bolt to strike. I'm walking through a garden of, of a thousand burning bushes, and yet I'm looking up to heaven for a sign. That's where we live. We live in this world of a thousand burning bushes. God's talking to us all the time. And if you have a hard time seeing it, look back to the special revelation of Jesus. Jesus came for you. Jesus loves you. He left the perfection of heaven. He came into this broken, hot world to give his life for you and for me. And when you put those glasses on, then you can read his kindness and his grace and his provision in nature. It's a beautiful thing. Make this a a practice of your life. Instead of worrying, we stop and we consider 
nature. There's a great song specifically about the lilies and the birds by a singer named John Guerra. So this is a a two-song point here, okay? Second song. John Guerra says this. He says, I recall comfort. I recall comfort. I believe you. I believe you. But I lose my faith by the hour of day, and I want to call it quits. Would you help me to hear it? What's he saying there? He's saying we all go through this like by the hour of day, we're, we're done. Like just your day can be going great. You wake up, you see the sunrise. God is glorious. I love you, Jesus. And then you go to work and it, oh, I'm done. I can't do this anymore, right? We talk a lot about this kind of era we live in of a lot of people leaving the faith, deconstruction. And I, I've discussed this. There's a helpful kind of deconstruction where you're rethinking what you believe, separating gospel from culture. That can be a good deconstruction. But there's this bad deconstruction where you say, my life is hard, so I just don't believe in you anymore, Jesus. And what I want to put together for you is that every time that we worry, we're doing that. We're doing the bad kind of deconstruction. In that moment, we're leaving the faith. And Jesus gives us this process to come back to the faith, right? He doesn't say if you start to worry, boom, it's over, you're going to hell. He says, when you start to worry, remember me. Remember me. So Guerra says it this way. By the hour of day, I lose my faith. I want to call it quits. Would you help me to hear it? You said the lilies are prettier than Solomon. I don't got to worry about tomorrow. The little birds, they don't ever work. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Even a napalm or a nuclear bomb, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. And if the lilies are prettier than Solomon, I don't got to worry about it. He goes on and on and repeats what Jesus tells us to fix our minds on. The flowers are beautiful. It's a sign that God has given you that God loves you. Consider nature. Different ways. Be creative. Look at the sunrise. Look at the sunset. Soak in some water. Feed some birds. Consider nature. God cares for you. The second point we see is instead instead of worrying, we want to redirect our minds back to God's care. He's delighted to give us the kingdom. And one of the ways we do that, the practice by which we would do this, is to give to the needy. Give to the needy. So we see this in verses 29 through 34. Look at verse 29. It says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. He loves to take care of you. He loves to give to you. Do you see God that way? Verse 33, if you do, well then sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the best antidotes to worrying about money is giving away some of your money. Isn't that crazy? It only works if you have a heart that understands that God will take care of you. If you don't understand that God is going to take care of you, it's not working, right? Because then we can flip it around in two ways. There's two non-gospel ways of interacting with our money. One is we hoard it because we're like, I got to take care of myself. I can't trust God or anybody else, right? And that's kind of obviously a non-faith way to deal with your money. 
There's this other non-faith way of dealing with your money where you say, oh, I know, God doesn't love me, but if I give away some money, then he will love me. That's the prosperity gospel. I'm going to force God to love me. I'm going to put in my quarters in the vending machine, and then he's going to have to give me blessings. That's not the gospel. Here Jesus is saying, trust God's kindness. He delights to give to you. And one of the ways you practice that reality, one of the ways that you remember and worship God with that reality is you give away some of your money to the needy. You look out to others and you go, oh, I'm going to give to them, and that's going to help me remember God's giving to me. It's a beautiful practice. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. Now, we can mix this up, right, because there's all this political stuff, and it's like, oh, Dave, you're a communist, right? No, I'm not a communist. I'm saying give away some of your money. That's all I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying tear down the government and everyone should be equal. I'm saying give away some of your money to the needy. And as you practice this as a habit, it brings glory to God. And it helps you to stop worrying. It helps you to remember the gospel, that Jesus gives away things to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful habit that we have. Thessalonians gives us kind of one uh, warning about that. You don't want to just give away willy-nilly, right? Like, who cares? It says clearly, don't give away money to people that aren't working and you're just kind of like helping them to be lazy. That's not a good idea. But beyond that, it's just great to give to people in need. We have this repetition throughout Scripture of always looking out for these categories of people that are especially needy, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Look out for the people that God has placed around you. And I think a really good, uh, helpful way to remember this is the picture that we have in Scripture of gleaning in the Old Testament. It's a funny word, but gleaning is when you had a farm, you would leave the edges for the poor to pick. And so a way to carry that into your job, because most of you are not farmers, is just say, okay, well, what is my productivity? What's the field that I'm working? Right? What do I do for a living? And let me leave some margin where I can give some of that to serve other people that are in need. You might be able to mentor people. You might be able to give away your services, or that might be a product, right? Whatever it might be, there's something that you have, and you can give a little fringe of that to others to help those in need. I grabbed a picture of a sunset in Guatemala. One of the primary ways that we give to the needy is our partnership with the church in Guatemala. We've raised up a global outreach partner in our own church, Natalie Araca, one of our beloved church members that we sent out. She's been there about eight years now on the field. She teaches English there to kids in need in this remote village. Uh, we just took a big trip uh, at spring break to support her. Joey and I visited her back in January. Um, you can give to her specifically. This is a specific need that you could help with. Um, we have little cards out on the table in the hallway with a QR code. You could sponsor a child, sponsor a student in her classroom, partner with Natalie Araka. That's a way that you could give to the needy, these kids that just grow up in the mountains of Guatemala with nothing. We also talk a lot about other ministries that we partner with, like Hope Pregnancy Center, Foster Love Bell County. These are ways to give to the needy in our own community. It's a way for us to, again, remember that God gives to us. Okay, third point, stay ready for action. Stay ready for action. We see this in verses 35 through 40. So again, thesis, stop worrying because your father loves to give you a kingdom. He provides for you. And one of the ways you can express this belief, this faith, is by staying ready for action. Look at verse 35. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. So got any King James folks out here? I think it says, gird up your loins. You got that one? Okay. I don't want to go into gross detail, but it's basically like put on your athletic attire, right? Strap yourself up. 
so that you're ready to run, you're ready to fight, you're, you're staying prepared. So I'm trying to keep it more metaphorical here at stay ready for action. Jesus is not saying, when I return, you better be wearing athletic attire. That's not the point, right? What he's saying is, is stay ready. Don't numb out. Don't say, life is so hard, I, I give up, or I'm just going to get drunk, or I'm just going to distract myself, right? Stay in the game. Stay involved because you trust that God is good and he's kind, and so he wants you giving and serving and, and helping others. Stay ready for action. So he says, stay dressed for action and then keep your lamps burning. Again, it's metaphorical. It's not like actually keep all your lights on until Jesus returns, right? Like that's not what he's saying. He's saying metaphorically, stay ready to serve other people. Anybody remember the motto of Motel 6 back in the 80s? Very good, man. We got a lot of uh, Motel 6 fans here. Yeah. We'll keep the light on for you. It's not going to be the nicest hotel around, but we'll keep the light on for you, okay? We'll keep the light on for you. It's this, this picture of staying ready for action. You're ready to surf. Uh, an image that comes up again and again in Scripture is the table waiter. I grabbed a picture of a, a waiter waiting on a table. This should be an image and a metaphor for the Christian life. We're serving others. We're waiting on others. What do you need? How can I help you? Is this the posture of your life? Again, I'm not saying you quit your job and go start working at a restaurant. I'm saying, are you serving the people around you? The image that Jesus gives us is washing his disciples' feet. He's he's taking the role of a servant, and he's saying, I want you to live like I've lived. I want you to do like I've done. Is that your posture in life? So he says, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes home and knocks. Eager, are you eager for the return of Jesus? Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Isn't that nuts? The reason we can live this way is because we remember that Jesus already did that. He already served us. And so if we're really believers in Jesus, we're going to serve other people. Because we believe this is the character of our master. So we're going to look like him. We're going to serve others, and then he's gonna, we're going to still be surprised by it. We're going to be like, what? You're serving us? Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is a key doctrine that we do not know when Jesus is coming back. And what we are commanded to do is stay ready every moment. We serve others. We love others. This is how we express our belief that Jesus could come back at any time. Now, I know some people get really worked up about end times prophecies and trying to understand the times. God bless you. Go for it, right? Study those things. That could be fun. And I think there's edification in any Bible study that you could do, right? But what are we commanded to do? We're commanded to stay ready. And we're told that we won't know when he's returning. So be careful. Watch out for the temptation of thinking, ah, if I have the right amount of information, if I study enough prophecy, then I can know which week or which moment. No, you can't. You might be able to know more than you know now, 
but you can't know when he's coming. And you've got to be ready no matter what. That's what we're commanded to do. The parallels of this passage are in Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus teaches about his return, strange end-time stuff that not every Christian understands. People are kind of confused. And then he gives very simple, practical instructions. Stay ready, stay ready, stay ready. That's what we have to do. If you study the book of Revelation, what's the principal meaning of the book of Revelation? It's that Jesus wins. Jesus wins and he's coming back. And there's all this language about the martyrs, those who have died trusting Jesus to return, have been thrown like grass into the oven. And Jesus says, you will be vindicated. It's going to be okay. He's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. Jesus wins. Jesus will return. Timing? We're not so sure. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to study those things. I'm just saying don't allow the study of those things to tempt you into thinking you can know the exact timing because you're supposed to stay ready no matter what, trusting in God's kindness to provide for you. God is kind if he returns today. God is kind if he returns in a thousand years. His kindness, his character is what allows us to stop worrying. The alternative to this is getting drunk, falling asleep, not being ready. He says, stay awake. A really scary image is King David. It says at the time when kings were going out to war, he was staying home, looking at women he shouldn't have been looking at. Stay alert. Don't give in to pornography, to drunkenness, to screens, to screen addiction, to all these other things that we can be distracted by in this world. But stay ready. Stay ready. Stay ready for action by actually serving other people. The spiritual discipline of serving others. Looking around, seeing ways that you can serve, encourage others, share the good news with people, help them. Um, Another just kind of huge bank of things that you can do are just search out in the New Testament all the one another's. We talk about this being a central purpose for our small groups at the church, but loving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, helping one another, um, crying with one another, rejoicing with one another, right? These are ways that you can stay ready and acknowledge that you trust that Jesus is going to return for you and he cares for you. We should wrap up here. Okay, big summary again. As we stop worrying... Because our Father delights to care for us. Stop worrying because our Father delights to care for us. And then there are practices that he gives us to help us remember that, right? The practices of considering nature, the practice of giving to the needy, uh, the practice of staying ready for action and, and serving others. Those are ways that we can express this trust, though, that's essentially rooted in the character of God himself, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he delights to give us the kingdom. And at the end of this, it's interesting because Peter is still a little confused. We love Peter. Many people love Peter because Peter's kind of like represents our confusion in life as disciples, right? Peter's always like, what? Wait, what? What are you saying? Uh, And he says this in verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all, right? Like, like who is this for, Jesus? We're a little confused about what you're saying. I want to paraphrase it as like, now who are the good guys here? And which team are we on? And what are you trying to say? Verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So Peter's like, is this about us or about somebody else? And Jesus answers, 
Blessed is the one who obeys what I just said. He's like, I'm not even going to tell you, Peter. The blessing is entrusting me and doing what I've told you to do. Are we going to trust in the kindness of God and then do, because of that trust, because of that faith, do what he's told us to do? So Jesus says, blessed is the one who is giving the portions to the servants I've asked him to give. And this is a mirror of Jesus's final words with Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus dies on the cross. The disciples are confused. Then he reappears to his disciples in a resurrected body. They're amazed. He's teaching them about himself. His final words with Peter occur in John chapter 21, where he says, Jesus, or he says, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Even Peter, the leader of the disciples, had to be reminded that he could trust Jesus. And if he trusted Jesus, then he would feed his sheep. We've talked a lot about caring physically for people, but we see in Scripture that feeding of the sheep, especially by Peter and the apostles and by us as well, means also feeding people on God's Word, the good news of Jesus, uh, the, the glasses of the special revelation that helps us to see that God is gracious even as we look out at His fingerprints in nature. And so he's encouraging us in the same way he's encouraging Peter, be faithful, trust me, be faithful, trust me, be faithful. Verse 44, he says, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He will give him everything. It goes on in 45, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. One of the sayings of gentle Jesus here. There's a judgment that's coming. We started with this scary judgment, right? Guy's building barns, putting his hope in wealth, and God says, that's not going to be enough. And now ending with this judgment. You're not trusting my return and you're beating up the other servants and you're getting drunk and you're numbing out. Judgment is coming. And Jesus goes on from there. He says he's going to be cut into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he'll receive a severe beating. Okay, that sounds a little better, right? Not getting cut into pieces. There's layers to this. Just getting a severe beating. Verse 48, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Jesus starts this section with a severe warning. He ends this section with a severe warning. And in the middle of that sandwich, he wants you to remember that he cares for you. He wants you to remember the middle of this which is remember the Father delights to give you the kingdom. If you remember that, you won't be the guy trusting in your wealth and your barns, and you won't be the other extreme just partying and going nuts and getting drunk. You're going to live that middle way of trusting Jesus and doing what he says because you believe the Father's kindness that he delights to give you the kingdom. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've proven that love by sending Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again. And as we hear that, as we trust you, 
Now then we can see your glory in nature. We can see everywhere we look that you are kind. We can trust that you delight to give us the kingdom. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.